0: When I was in elementary, uh, we had a very small class. We only had one section, and there were, in our small class, an odd number of boys. There were 15 boys in our class. And so it would be that when our class went out to recess, uh, we would go out to the open field uh, next to our school building, and there we would divide up to play soccer or football. Of course, two of the most athletic and most popular boys would naturally be the captains. And they would alternate picking the best players so that we would divide up these 15 boys. Because there's an odd number at the end, there would be only three left. Out of the three, one would be picked, and the other two would go to the other team. Can you imagine what it would be like to be one of those two boys— where your worth is two for the price of one. You can guess from me telling this story that I was often one of the last two. And it was no fun not to be picked. I remember praying as a young elementary boy, please, Lord, let one of the usual captains be sick tomorrow so that one of my friends would be the captain and he, through friendship, would pick me. Now, it did happen on a few occasions, and let me tell you what. It was one of the greatest feelings to be picked. It doesn't matter whether you're picked towards the beginning or you were picked towards the end. What mattered was at least you were chosen. As long as you are chosen. And we know that feeling, whether in sports or perhaps your teacher gives you a group project and you're to group yourselves, and everyone runs into the little click groups and You're feeling as if you're all alone, if you have not been chosen. But boy, what a great feeling if you're part of a group. Or how about when everyone raises their hands, looking for the teacher's attention, that feeling when the teacher calls on you and you proudly tell her the answer. Or that feeling when you audition for something and a week later you see your name printed out as one who has been chosen to be part of the cast Or perhaps you interview for a job. And out of all the candidates who are vying for those slots, you are one of those who are chosen. Chosen for a promotion. Chosen to go out of the country. Chosen to a high position. It is one of the greatest feelings in all the world to be chosen. But there's a funny thing in our generation today. We are no longer content with simply being chosen... We also want to make sure that when we are chosen by a team, we are chosen by the cool team, the fun team. It's no longer important simply to be in a group. We need to be in the cool group, the group that has all of the influential people, the group that is a group with influence. And therein lies the issue as it translates into the Christian life. Figuratively, we have all of our hands raised saying, Pick me, pick me, pick me. And then we are chosen by God as we place our trust in his son, Jesus Christ. And so we are chosen. But then you know what happens? We look to the other team and we think, i wish the other team chose us you see in life there are two teams i know i know this sounds a bit corny but it's reality there is team world and the other is team christ team christ is the team that we all christians are a part of but team world has all of the famous personalities Team World has Tom Cruise and Orlando Bloom and Uma Thurman. Team World has amazing coaches like Phil Jackson and sports stars like Tiger Woods and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Muhammad Ali. Team World has influential people. Team World is the team we wish we were a part of. And then we look at Team Christ, and there's me. And no offense, I... Look at the church, or you look at the church and you look around and you say, You're not really cool. And we say, We don't like the team we're on. If you look at your own lives and look in your heart, the honest truth is many of us as Christians are pretty upset that we are on Team Christ. And although you would never verbally admit it with your mouth, from the way you and I live our lives, we envy the people on team world isn't that right we envy them we envy all the supposed fun they have we envy how much they are well liked we envy that they are in the majority the majority has to be right we envy the way they live their lives we envy the fact that they don't to sit at church on a sunday morning and they don't feel guilty about it As we continue our sermon series entitled, Own Up, A Call for Personal Responsibility, we want to look this morning at the great implications of what it means to be chosen and how being chosen carries with it for the Christian four responsibilities. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. As you know, we have been studying the book of 1 Peter. We are now at chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 is what we'll exposit this morning. If you're new to the Bible, it's towards the end of the Bible, right after the book of James. And if you turn to it, put your bookmarks there. As I've told you, we will be in this book for the next few weeks. What are the responsibilities we have being chosen by God? Let's take a look. Verses 1 to 3 of First Peter chapter 2. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Peter begins this chapter by talking about what it means to be on Team Christ. What are the characteristics? of being a member of Team Christ. And he says in verse 1, these are the things that are inconsistent with men and women who are on Team Christ. You are to lay them aside. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. They are inconsistent with those who characterize members of Team Christ. Instead, verse 2 tells us very clearly that we are to desire the Word of God. Members of Team Christ should be characterized by their desire of Team Christ. They are to hunger for the Word of God so that it will enable them to grow spiritually in maturity. Just as natural as it is for a babe to crave the milk, they need to grow. So it is we who are on Team Christ should crave to understand the Word of God. How many of us cry out for more of God's Word? How many of us cry out, craving to follow what God has said in this word? How many of you would cry if I went past 12:30 this morning? You would, I know. Very few cry out, "More of God's word. let him speak till one." You will cry because you will say, "He's spoken too long. I'm hungry." How many of you tomorrow morning, tomorrow's a holiday, you know that, right? A whole day, no school, for many of you, no work. How many of you say, wonderful, I can't wait to spend the whole day reading my Bible? Probably very little. And I will guilt you tomorrow if you don't do your devotions. You have no excuse. You cannot say, I did not have time today. Tomorrow is a holiday. But very few of us crave But the Bible said it must be natural. That is what characterizes members of Team Christ. You know, ever since my second son grew up before our eyes, there's one thing that characterizes his life, uh, and uh, we all see it, uh, and it's that he loves food just like his father. His his eyes brighten up whenever it's mealtime. In fact, before we announce it's mealtime, he will ask, when is mealtime? I like it when we are serving his favorite food and at at this moment it's sweet and sour pork and we tell him, Nathan, we're having sweet and sour pork tonight. He will jump up and down, eyes wide open as if that's the best thing on his life to live for. We'll hear him as he asks his siblings if they're going to finish their food that has been proportioned on their plate and if they don't finish what has been proportioned on their plate he would be more than glad to take their portion If you watch him, he doesn't eat with fork and spoon, but he eats with his hand. And we've been frustrated telling him, Nathan, you must use the fork and spoon. And he tells us utensils are restricting. And there you will see him enjoying his food. He licks his fingers after he eats as if to savor every last bit of drop of oil. He dips his food in all kinds of sauces. And boy, he has a wonderful time every meal. His father is not the same way. But when I see him, I, I see, I think, what verses 2 and 3 are talking about. It's talking about one who, who absolutely savors and craves the Word of God, burning with desire to know what this amazing book has to say of how we are to live our lives. The Bible is more than simply John three sixteen. It's simply more than some pithy quotes. What characterizes men and women who have been chosen into the team of Christ is that they savor and desire the Word of God. It's a desire to know, as milk is good for babies to grow them, it is the desire to know what is good for you to help you grow spiritually. Team World is parting all the time. Team World has... No desire to be a church. They don't understand why in the world you would want to fellowship with other brethren studying the word of God. Team world doesn't understand why you pray. Team world doesn't understand what it means to patiently walk, wait upon the Lord. They are there for the now and instant gratification. But team Christ should not care about those things. The people on team Christ should desire and actively crave the things that God desires. Look at verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, verse 3 points out very clearly that you are only a member of Team Christ because you are chosen by God because of His grace. And since you have experienced God's grace in your life, then you need to be fully bought in, sold out, fully engaged into the team in which you have been chosen to be a part of. You know, many Christians, as I mentioned earlier, are not happy to be on Team Christ. And when you are unhappy on the team you are on, you exhibit what psychologists call a passive-aggressive behavior. Do you know that term, what it means to be passive-aggressive? Here's how the Mayo Clinic defines it. Passive-aggressive behavior is a pattern of indirectly expressing negative feelings instead of openly addressing them. There's a disconnect between what a passive-aggressive person says and what he or she does. For a passive-aggressive person, the true feelings are all shared through action, not words. You know these type of people. They are people who are reluctant to be there as if you are forcing them it's in they don't want to be there. You know these type of people. Some of you perhaps are passive-aggressive this morning because you're forced to come to church. And so you're here, and no offense to anyone here, you got your arms folded. And I see a lot of hands just go back down. <laughs> you got your hands folded. Scowl on your brow. Angry. And then whoever brought you here, your wife, your mother your dad hey how are you well I'm here am I not you know that feeling you know that that, that, that expression I'm here my physical presence is here but I'm not happy to be here and I'm not going to let you know it you know when parents tell their kids to do something and the kids know they, they, they can't get away with it but they're there but they're grumpy and they're grouchy And they're going to be there, but they're going to show you just how unhappy they are there. And they're there physically. But passive-aggressive means that they're going to show you passively through aggression, emotionally, that they're not happy. That's a lot of Christians today. They're on Team Christ because sometime way back in their life, they placed their trust in Jesus Christ But their actions clearly show they want to be on Team World. And they get pastors every week who come and tell them, you're not supposed to like Team World. And they say, okay, fine. If I can't be there, then I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and do nothing. You know those people? A lot of people like that. You know those type of sports players when they're not playing, they're on the bench, they're on the sidelines. And you know they're not happy because they're not cheering on the team. They're there sulking in the sidelines and on the bench. Well, if I'm not playing, then I'm not going to participate. You know those people? If I don't have a leadership role, if I'm on the forefront, then I'm not going to cheer on those who are there. My friends, the Bible says that you are chosen for a very special purpose. And here's number one of your taking notes. You are chosen to be given the responsibility, number one, to live an all-in life for Christ. If you understand the expression, to live an all-in, you're all-in, you're sold out, you're fully engaged, you live an all-out, engaged life for Jesus Christ. You put in the effort You crave after the spiritual things. You and I are on Team Christ, and as members of that team, we are to be sold out, all in, cheering those who are at the forefront, praying for those in the forefront, and in that way, we are also actively engaged as part of that team, actively participating because we're members of that team. Don't translate your passive aggressiveness into the spirituality of your life. Because if you do so, then you will suck out all the joy of the Christian life, not only in your life, but in the lives of others. Look at verse 4 and verse 5. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter continues in verse 4, and he says, As you approach Jesus Christ, as you come into sweet fellowship with him, remember that he is a living stone. That is what Peter uses to describe Jesus a living stone. Something, verse 4 tells us, that was rejected by man, but is chosen by God and is something of worth, something that is precious. Rejected indeed by man, but chosen by God and precious. Our team's leader is Jesus Christ. He is not some sort of second-rate leader. He is the Son of God. He is God Himself. He is handpicked by God. Rejected by the world, rejected by man. How can you call what God has chosen second rate or second best? What God chooses, he always chooses the best. He chooses that which is of worth. Something that is precious. Now take the idea that's developed in verse 4 and look what it says in verse 5. You also... He uses the same term. He calls us a living stone. We are rejected by the world being members of Team Christ, but chosen by God to do what? To build up his team, to build up a spiritual home, Team Christ, which we call the church. My friends, do not look down upon the community of believers we call the church. That which God chooses is always something of worth. Don't you forget that. We are all part, the Bible says in verse 5, a part of the royal priesthood. It's a privileged position. It's a very special calling. Now, to understand this, you have to understand a little bit about the Old Testament priesthood. In the Old Testament, when Jacob had 12 sons... He would, from these 12, form the nation of Israel. But out of these 12 sons, he chose one, the tribe of Levi. And from that tribe would come a privileged position, men and women who would be called out in the entirety of their tribe to somehow serve God. But from this tribe, he called out some select families. And these select families would go on to serve as priests, whose special role it was, was to serve in the house of God. From these families, God chose a clan. From the clan of the family of Aaron. To serve a more important role as priests. Specifically, serving as an intermediator between God and man. To offer up the sacrifices of the people before holy God. And out of this clan, only one man would be chosen. We call him the high priest in the Old Testament. Who would be able to have the privileged position to stand before the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies between the two cherub and the mercy seat and present the sacrifice on that day of atonement to plead on behalf of the people of Israel whether God would accept their offerings and atone for their sins one more year. From the 12, a tribe, from the tribe, families, from that family, a clan, from that clan, one. But now Jesus Christ in the New Testament serves as our mediator between God and man when he died on the cross. And that's why we no longer need a priest to fulfill this role. You do not come to me into a confessional booth to utter your confessions. I do not have the power within me, nor do any other priests and pastors, to absolve your sins. That privilege position belongs to Jesus Christ. But we as believers in Jesus Christ have the unique ability to come right into the very presence of Holy God to bring our request to Him through His Son. Imagine that. That is the privileged position of one who has been specially chosen that in the Old Testament only one man in the entire world had that privilege. But here now, everyone who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ, notice in verse 5, have sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We have the privileged position chosen Bring our requests before the throne room of grace. How many of you this week met the Japanese emperor and empress? Anyone got an invitation? Don't worry, I didn't get one either. But I read in an article that uh, those who went to Malacanian were given the protocol that they were not to extend their hand to shake if first the emperor and the empress did not extend their hands to acknowledge you. Imagine that. You cannot even introduce yourself to them if they do not call upon you. I believe that is also the same with the British monarchy as well as many royalty. That is the protocol. But that is also the same case with God. Remember the story of Esther? But because holy God... Can have nothing to do with sinful man. We can't just say, hey, God, I want to be your buddy? Accept me? No. But God, through His Word, tells us in verse 4 and 5, something very clear. God reached out His hand and He chose us. You, the Bible says, are also living stones, chosen by God and precious. That is something that members of Team World do not have. Why do do we envy them? Members of Team World can pray to whatever God they pray to. They can shout their prayers, but their prayers do not reach the ears of God. They can beat themselves until God listens they can repeat their prayers a hundred times. They can pre- repeat their prayers a thousand times, but nothing. The only people that hear their prayers are the people next to them who can hear their shouts of prayer. But for us, on members of Team Christ, when we pray, Dear Heavenly Father, immediately the Almighty God the sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient God turns in our direction and he says, yes. I can say, hi, God, it's Steve. So I'm driving down the road. God, I just need your help today. It's been frustrating. Hey, God, seems like the evil people are, are winning. Can you do something about it, God? Because of Jesus Christ." Those simple prayers, the muttering. In fact, the scripture says, even the groanings of our heart that cannot be expressed verbally, God knows. And His ears are attentive. That is a privileged position. When you can remember the simple yet profound truth that God chooses men and women of worth, that you stand in a privileged position then you will understand the great responsibility you and I have. Number two, live as someone of worth. When you and I have been chosen and, and we remember that, then you and I have the responsibility to live as someone of worth, someone who has a direct channel before the very throne room of grace where God's ears are inclined towards his people. And if you are men and women of worth, then you are not to sell yourself cheaply to this world your life is precious verse 4 and verse 5 your life is to be lived as people of worth don't sell your life and your character and your integrity for 2 or 300 or 400 or 500 pesos to someone young ladies don't you are a person of worth do not sell your sexuality to a man before marriage just simply because he says, I love you. You were chosen. You are a woman of worth. For those with low self-esteem, when you look at yourself and you say, no, no one likes me, God has chosen you. Do not question ever that God chooses the second-rate type of people he or she that God chooses is always precious in his sight. Remember that. And that transformative message should change your minds to live as men and women of character and of worth. Verse 6 to 8. In verse 6 to 8, Peter will use three Old Testament passages to prove this amazing living stone that is Jesus Christ, despised by the world, but is approved by God. And it's something marvelous. Look with me, verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Here, Peter is quoting from the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, verse 16. And Peter quotes from Isaiah, clearly illustrate that the chief cornerstone, the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, upon which the church is built. This is Peter writing himself, saying that he is not the foundation upon which the church is built. It is upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. I've shown this verse to my Roman Catholic friends. One of the key verses. I said, look, the Apostle Peter wrote this verse himself. And he wrote in this verse that he is not the rock upon which the church is built. And therefore... There is no scriptural evidence to support the papacy. Peter wrote this himself. And he wrote in verse 6 that it is Jesus Christ. That's why if you ever leave the sanctuary and you just hang a right, you will see on the post next to the cross the foundation capstone when this church was built in the 70s. And there, etched in the cornerstone, it's just right outside, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone to remind this church that this church is not foundation upon the pastors and the leaders who have come before me, nor myself. It is upon the headship of Jesus Christ. Notice the last part of verse 6. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. There is victory in Jesus. Team Christ always wins. Peter continues in verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stones which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Peter quotes Psalm 118, verse 22. And in Psalm 118, verse 22, it is saying that that stone which has been rejected, which the builders in the construction throughout has become the chief cornerstone. Christ is precious. Those who believe in him will see him as precious, but team world will always reject the things of Christ. They will despise him. Don't you ever forget that if you are on team Christ, the world will not fully accept you. Never. The world cannot accept the things of Jesus. It is an affront to them. They will belittle the things of Jesus. They will laugh at you for your Christian faith. They will laugh at you for your conviction. They will laugh at you for your integrity. They will look down on you as they look down upon the greatest person in the world. But no worries. The stone which the builders rejected have become what? The chief cornerstone. The foundation stone. Again, pointing to the greatness of God. Then Peter continues in verse 8, quoting Isaiah 8, verse 14. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. There's this stone. It's, it's in the way. They, this living stone. And the world will trip over it. They will stumble over it. They, they, they feel it's always in the way. just They want to get rid of it. But no, they keep falling over it because it's always there. And that stone is there because that stone is the foundation stone of our eternal foundation. It is the rock that does not move. And they don't realize it because verse 8 tells us they do not look into the Word. And they are disobedient to it. And that's why verse 2 tells us we as Christians are to desire God's Word. So we can constantly be reminded that this stone of offense... The world, this stumbling stone to the world is the stone upon which we build our lives. Men and women understand this today that the world will not like you because they do not understand this stone. But no matter, rejected by man, approved by God, rejected by man, approved by God. The stone is a nuisance. Jesus Christ is a nuisance in their life. No matter, rejected by man, approved by God. These three verses in its totality remind us that we are to accept the fact that what is rejected by the world is approved by God. And that which God approves, we are to approve as well. That is a paradigm shift for many of us. Because we live our lives wanting the approval of both God and man. We want both. But we just read in our scripture reading, what do we read? No one can serve two masters. We know that verse, we can memorize it. Either he will love the one or hate the other or vice versa. We know the verse, but we don't live it out. And so we try to straddle both worlds. The earlier you understand and learn this, the quicker you will realize that you cannot live in two worlds. You can live in one. Only one. And If you place your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you are on Team Christ. You will be rejected by the world, but you are approved by God. Let me give you an example. Let's say you are working in a factory. Some of you actually are. Some of you own the factory. Regardless, you are working in a factory. It's a fabric company. It's a a factory that produces jeans, let's say, I don't know, clothes, shirt, being exported to America or Europe. And you are in charge of quality control. And so, when the product is finished, what do you do? You instruct your workers. As part of quality control, if it meets these standards, then it gets shipped out as export. If it doesn't meet these requirements, then it goes in the pile rejected, right? We all know that. There is the pile of accepted, approved, the one that gets the brand label on it. And there's the pile that is rejected. doesn't hold up to standards. There is no middle pile that I know of in any factory, a garment factory, that says maybe, right? There's no maybe pile. It's either approved or disapproved. That's why in America, when I buy a pair of pants from a store, I'll sometimes dig into my pocket and I'll pull out a little slip of paper, right? And That little slip of paper says, inspected by Inspector 312 or something like that. Do You ever see that? it's it's in your shirts or inspect to show you that it's passed through quality control so you know what companies do with all these excess rejected merchandise you know what they do with it companies will often take what is rejected and they will call it slightly altered and they will bring it to green hills and they will sell it to you as merchandise that is slightly altered now we're not talking about over ones just slightly altered and here we are we go and we can buy these branded label at cheap prices and we're so happy look I bought these guest jeans at 80% off I bought this shirt lacoste look it's missing a button no problem I got a lot of buttons at home no problem The zipper doesn't work well. It's okay. We have safety pin. Life will go on. We're so happy, right? We're so happy. But here's the funny thing: you are so happy that you have bought factory rejected merchandise. Do you ever think about that? I have just bought a rejected shirt. Yay! Are we like that? No, look at how cheap I got it. Well, the problem is that translate into the Christian life. Here we are in life. We don't take what is approved by God. It didn't it never made through the first cut. We we accept what is rejected. We pay a minimal cost with our lives. It doesn't cost us much, and we're so happy. Look. I got, and I'm living the life that God rejected. Yay! And the life that you are living is not even worth the cut at the beginning. Think about that. If you live a life that is characterized by team world, then you are living a life that is rejected by God, and why are you so happy about what has been rejected? And yet we are. And we brag about living the rejected life, huh? Can you imagine the question mark and the puzzlement of God? I have given you the very best, the label. And this is how you are to live. It's written right here. No, No, no. No, we'd rather take the rejected part of God. Remember, that which man despises, God approves of. That which man approves God rejects. And when you are free from living for the approval of the world, then you will begin to understand what true joy is. And here's number three. When you know that you have been chosen, here's your third responsibility. You are to live responsibly. You are to live for God's approval. Number three. Live for God's approval. The responsibility of being chosen is being rejected by the world. But doesn't mean you don't have any circles of friends. I've got a lot of unbelieving friends. I want to witness to them. You should have unbelieving friends. But you are living not for their approval. You are living for God's approval. They don't have to like you. Guess what? The more you talk about Jesus, the higher chance they won't like you. That which the world despises is that which God approves of. Rejected by man, it is the chief cornerstone. You Cannot live in both worlds. So what approval will you live for? I read the story of a person who went to a concert, an orchestra concert. Beautiful theater at the end of the concert. Uh, Everyone stood up and clapping and uh praising the orchestra but the person noticed that there were two ushers standing near a seat and they were applauding louder than anybody else in the whole place they kept they kept clapping and as the clapping would die down they would clap again and so as they clapped the entire congregation would clap the man thought to himself wow these ushers they must love music. That's why they're ushering this event. Look at them. They're, they're applauding louder than even the concert goers. And so he was thrilled that there were these two ushers who were, who were really music lovers. But his impression of them changed somewhat when he heard one of the ushers say to the other, Hey, man, keep clapping. If we can get the orchestra to do another encore we get overtime pay don't be so happy when the world is applauding you because they may have ulterior your motives why they are some of them want you to think highly of them some of them want to use you some of them want to get something from you do not live for the world's applause you live for the applause of one It is the applause of one person of God that is what matters in this life. And that is the responsibility of men and women who have been chosen by Him to live for the one that chose you, to live for God's approval. Finally, verse 9 and verse 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Peter writes in verse 9 and 10 that we are chosen to live with a purpose. That's number four. You have a responsibility, number four, to live with a purpose, to live with purpose. God chose you and then doesn't want you to do anything. No, of course not. God chose you because he has a purpose for your life. Look at the descriptions of a chosen person in verse 9. You are a chosen generation. That phrase is emphasizing that you are relevant in the time in which you live. I don't care about your age because this is not talking about a young person. A lot of youth groups use this verse because they think we're the chosen generation. Yes, you are. But so is everyone else who lives in this 21st century generation. This is not simply a generation of young people, but of all ages, all cultures, all ethnicities, all economic background. God has uniquely chosen you in this generation to make an impact. Live with purpose. He has chosen you as a royal priesthood. That, that phrase is emphasizing that you are specially chosen to fulfill a very special role just as God chose the Uranic priesthood in the Old Testament. So He chooses you for a very special purpose. The Bible says you are a holy nation. And that phrase is emphasizing that you are a people who are set apart. You are to live as set apart people. You are to be in the world but not of the world. You are a holy nation unto itself. And so live like people who are set apart. And that personal of phrases in verse... 9, you are my own special people. And that phrase is emphasizing that you and I belong to the living God. We belong to him. so we are to live for a purpose. And the purpose in which we are to live, verse 9, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are to live with the purpose of glorifying God in all that you do. And how do we glorify God? To live for Him in holiness. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame. Before him in love. Before the foundations of this world, he chose us to live a life of purpose. God makes no mistakes. God chose you to be on Team Christ, to fulfill a very special purpose, to be the chosen generation, to impact the communities in which you are a part. And that is your responsibility, and that is my responsibility. And how great that responsibility, how marvelous it is, because God makes no mistakes. He chose us for a purpose. Are you living out that purpose? Do you remind yourself every day, and I hope this week, every day you'll wake up with the phrase of knowing that you have been chosen. I like what Oswald Chamber writes. He says this, I have chosen you. That phrase. Keep that note of greatness in your creed, in what you remind yourself he's saying. It is not that you have got God, but that he has got you. Why is God at work in me, bending, breaking, and molding, doing just as he chooses? For one purpose only, that he may be able to say, This is my man. This is my woman. I want you this week to go back home as you go to work every day, even tomorrow on vacation, and wake up with the knowledge and reminding yourself, I am chosen. I am chosen by God. And God chose me because the Heavenly Father wants To proclaim to the world, this is my child. This is my man. This is my woman. Just as any proud parent would want to say to a child, this is my child. And so proud. That's what the father wants to do. He wants to proclaim to the world, this is my man. This is my woman. I've chosen him or her for a purpose. You are chosen. And now you and I have a responsibility to live a life that is all out for Christ, sold out to Him, actively engaged in His work. You have a responsibility to live as someone of worth, never selling your character and who you are to the cheapness of this world. You and I are to live for God's approval, for the approval of one. And that you are to live with purpose. That is your responsibility and mine. To live with a purpose until the day we see Christ again when he will ask, what have you done? And we can tell him proudly for the one who has chosen us, we have lived this life for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is a reminder even to me of the great standing we have being chosen children. We take it for granted at times. We don't appreciate the fact that it costs you your son's life for us to be chosen into Team Christ. And so we envy the things of team world. We we want to be a member of the world. Many of us are angry that somehow we're Christians. Change that perspective in our minds that we remember that that which has been rejected by man has been approved by Christ. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.